We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC Heart and Vascular Institute, where you get access to the most advanced treatment options, including a range of clinical trials. Learn more at upmc.com slash central PA heart. January is National Poverty in America Awareness Month. Almost 38 million people are living in poverty in the U.S. The poverty line adjusted by the federal government each year was almost $15,000 in household income for a single person in 2023. For a family of four, it was just shy of $30,000. President Lyndon Johnson declared a war on poverty in the 1960s that included programs like Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, formerly known as Food Stamps, Medicare, Medicaid, Head Start, and expanded Social Security. Those programs kept millions out of poverty, but they obviously didn't eliminate it. So what factors lead to poverty today and what is being done to improve the lives of those living below the poverty line? On the Spark today, we're joined by Beck Moore, CEO of the Community Action Association of Pennsylvania, and Robin Rohrbach, President and CEO of the Community Progress Council in York County, and is on the board of directors for the Community Action Association of Pennsylvania to talk about poverty in 2024. I want to welcome both of you to the program today. Thank you so much for having us. So I'm going to ask this question of both of you. Beckmore, let me start with you kind of on a statewide basis. But what does poverty look like in 2024? Yeah, I think it's it's so multi-layered. You know, it's it's not something that I think people have this perception of what poverty is and they think that they can just point to it, but it's it's so 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 multifaceted, right? I mean, here in Pennsylvania alone, we have just over 12 million people and about, I think, you know, 1.2 million of those folks are defined as living in poverty. But so many of us, in, including myself, frankly, we're one emergency away from being right into a circumstance, right, that we we may have, have come out of. And, I, you know, I think Robin is is really well-versed at talking about this on a more local level. So I'm going to let her speak to this because, while it's it's different and varied across the state, I think you know she's she's seeing it as a client based day to day differently than what what I am. So I'm going to let Robin talk a little bit more about that. Okay, Robin. Sure. So in York County, about forty two thousand people live below the federal poverty level. An additional one hundred and fifty thousand people live below the self sufficiency standard, and so. I think one of the things that's really important for your listeners to understand is that um, poverty is a very, very low income threshold. Um, There are three times the number of people in York County who struggle from one month to the next to pay their bills and meet their financial needs. And so it is a much bigger issue than just thinking about the lowest income folks in our communities. I think the other thing that I would say is that um, 65% or greater of the people who live below the federal poverty level are working people. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think that that becomes a surprising fact for lots of folks. The largest population of people living in poverty are children or uh, people under the age of 18. And so it's somewhat, I think it's closer to 30% of the population of children live below poverty. So that's pretty astounding. And I think the other thing that we know is that female head of households are also experiencing higher levels of poverty. Um, this is an issue uh, that affects um, black and brown people much more intensively, uh, disproportionately than, than our white counterparts. And so um, poverty looks like you and me, frankly, um, but it is uh, much bigger than just an issue of poverty. Let's talk about that uh, local poverty for just a moment, Robin Warbuck. How's different in the past? I mean, uh, Beck kind of touched on this, that uh, everyone kind of has a picture of what they think poverty looks like. But how is it different than in the past? I think different things contribute to poverty now than maybe they did in the past. So in the past, and I'm, I'm going back pretty far, um, there were families where at least one adult in the family was staying home and caring for the children. Um, child care expenses now are a significant portion of a monthly budget for a family. Um, transportation was not as significant of an expense. Education wasn't as big of an expense back uh, in earlier days because labor uh, was a way that people, manual or physical labor, could um, enable someone to work and uh, be self-sufficient. Today, um, our economy is much more based on uh, a, a skill set that requires sometimes advanced education. So, um, different expenses now contribute to uh, uh, families' uh, expense to to get from one month to the next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if I can if I can just add to that, Scott, if I may, you know, I think one of the things that if you think about really simplistically, growing utility costs. So from 2022 to 2023, we saw a 45 percent increase in some instances in gas and oil, electricity, right? And when you already consider how pressed someone's income is household income in terms of housing burden, right? And 40% of income going to housing. And then that type of increase, when you already have folks who are living disproportionately in homes that are not weatherized or not well insulated, and they don't have access to efficient energy, that type of increased energy cost in a home like that becomes exponentially larger for someone who's already has a stress budget. And you know, I don't have to tell anyone, but weather like we've had the past couple of days, everyone kind of knows that if your you know, house is not or your apartment is not weatherized and you have uh, this cold coming in, it it really is a, is a burden, not just the financially, but uh, even physical well-being. So, uh, Beckmore, you and, well, the organization – takes issue with the designated poverty line. I mentioned uh, $15,000 in household income for a single individual, almost $30,000 for a family of four. You know, the federal government designates those lines each year. But as I said, your organization takes issue with those numbers. Why? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I'm, I'm going to let Robin talk about this a little bit more, but, you know, from on a really basic level, 
those guidelines were initially established by the Social Security Administration in the 60s. Uh, based on pre-tax income, and there's been no increase in consideration for things like the cost of groceries, the things like increased cost of transportation, childcare, things already that that Robin mentioned. And so, we think about some, you know, again, some really simple concepts, right, of a three percent increase in salary and what that means for somebody. And we consider, you know, how those those guidelines have not really changed more broadly or even on a regional basis or on a statewide basis. You know, the cost of living in Pennsylvania is very different than the cost of living in California. Mm -hmm. And so there's regionality to it. It's just not that simplistic. And it's amazing to me that while we have created all of these complexities in other ways, we've not been thoughtful about, about this particular uh point of data that we have so much information about. Mm -hmm. Robin, you kind of touched on this a few minutes ago when you were saying that uh, the, you, you, you kind of talked about how those lines are established by the federal government, but even those, even those who are living above those lines are having trouble from time to time. Correct. I, I think the one thing that I would add to what Beck said about the federal poverty line is that it's a, it's an extremely arbitrary uh, line in the sand, so to say, say, and it's frequently used to uh, determine eligibility for services. You said a minute ago that it it uh, that services helped people to get out of poverty. I, I would argue that it didn't help people to get out of poverty. Those services but it helped to sustain or maintain them in poverty. Hmm. And I, I believe that it is structured in such a way that, that we are doomed to fail. Let me give you an example of that. So we have programs that have a 120% of poverty as an eligibility standard. And so if it's a family of four and poverty is $30,000, 120% of that would be $36,000. Um, to, for a family of four. So I, I would encourage any listener to think about a monthly budget for a family of four, being able to pay rent, utilities, groceries, health care, um, child care for $36,000 uh, annually. And and so if they make $36,001, they are no longer eligible for a service. So, so I, I think it's really important to understand that many programs are funded to maintain people in poverty. And it's until we begin to have this conversation about what is the total cost for a person to live, a family to live from one month to the, to the next, um, that we're going to continue to have conversation about poverty level and people in poverty never changing. It's not changing because it's not set up to change. Let That's me ask, maybe a, ask the two <laughs> of you this. I mean, what you, when you say that uh, this is an arbitrary number, you know, I'm always conscious on this program when we're talking about something like this, that we're talking about real people. We're not, okay, a lot of times we use statistics and, you know, that's how we, I don't know if we define people, but that's where they're they're placed. So, you know, when we're talking about real people, 
I don't know, Beck, how do you uh, how do you get the message across to other people that there are so many people living and I hate to even say living in poverty, but are having trouble paying all those things that you mentioned, like rent, rent especially. That has gone up so much over the past year, year and a half. Uh, those utilities, food, the basics. I mean, when we're talking about real people rather than numbers, how do we get the message across? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where, you know, in, in the state of Pennsylvania, we have 43 community action agencies. We're the membership organization that supports them and helps to you know, advocate and tell stories. And the storytelling is what is is so critical. I mean, we... We, we partner with Community Progress Council, right, and so many of our other agencies to, to try to lift up and share what is happening. So I'm going to let Robin address that question because she can she can tell you, right, real life examples of the people that she's seeing every day. Yeah, we one of the things we do to help people understand the difference between poverty and self-sufficiency and and just so I can place that for your listeners. Self-sufficiency is the cost that uh, that a person has to or the, the money that a person has to earn on a monthly basis to pay all of their expenses. So for the federal poverty level, it looks at one factor around a food budget. Um, but for self-sufficiency, it considers rent, transportation, health care, child care, so on and so forth. It's a much more rounded measure of of the cost to sustain oneself. Um, And what self-sufficiency standard doesn't do is allow someone to save money or save money towards college or go to college or even save for retirement. So it is still a basic subsistence level, but it is three times more money typically than the federal poverty level. So you mentioned the family of four at $30,000, the self-sufficiency standard is $90,000 for that same family of four. So I think it's important that we put context to what we are calling low-income folks. Um, The age of the children, the physical location of that, the geographic location of the family matters. Certainly the cost of living in York, Pennsylvania is drastically different than Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, or New York City. And so a standard, a threshold for service should be considering those geographical and family composition differences. What I would say to you also is that one of the best ways Community Progress Council has found to help people understand poverty and self-sufficiency is that we hold poverty simulations and we do one every January. And it really does talk about not just poverty, but self-sufficiency and the struggle that a family will go through to get from where they are to um, a self-sufficiency level or economics uh, stability. And so we are doing a poverty simulation on January the 30th um, from 5 to 7 p.m. We'd invite folks to come out and experience that with us. It is an extremely impactful experience and then conversation to process all of the multitudes of factors that intersect to create this perfect storm that keeps people down, frankly. And I, and I think that, that that poverty simulation, right, it, it, it shows to people, to your point earlier, Scott, about how do you tell that story, right? The social determinants of health, right? The Not just the body that we're born into, but our 
outward environmental components of right how we live, where we live, who our parents are, what our family makeup is, right? The the generational poverty that may have come before us in our family, all of those things, right? That poverty simulation helps people understand what that means and about the whole health of the person and how long we live is directly impacted, right, by the things that we don't think about all the time, right? The, the neighborhood that we live in, the access to a sidewalk to get to some, a place, to a, something as simple as a bus stop to be able to go to a grocery store. Is there a grocery store locally? That's when people start to feel and understand either the privilege that they have or the privilege that they don't have in 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 a lot of different ways. So let's talk about uh, community uh, progress councils. Uh, Robin, what do you do? Try to help people to get to that self-sufficiency. Right. So Community Progress Council has a multitude of programs available to help folks address various issues. Um, we have a comprehensive array from early childhood education to nutrition supports, workforce programming, um, uh, so on and so forth. I think what I would want to explain is that the, the best thing that we do is we partner one-on-one -on -one with uh, families who come to us, individuals who come to us with challenges, and we do an assessment of their needs, and we wrap services, all of our comprehensive services around them, but also then connect them to services in the community. It is, you know, we say often, any one service is valuable. You can uh, get on our WIC program, Women, Infants, and Children Supplemental Nutrition, or you can enroll in Head Start or get into a workforce or a housing education program. Any one of those is helpful. What is most helpful is when we put an array of services together, we combine those services and continually monitor someone's utilization and um, barriers. So Beck mentioned earlier, you know, a flat tire, not a huge big deal. You get a, a flat tire, you get a plug put in your tire, you're good to go the next day. But for a low income person, if you don't have that 50 to $100 to pay for the plug to get in your tire, you may miss work the next day. So on and so it's a snowball effect that then they lose their employment and they fall backwards. Community Progress Council through our coaches would be there with that person to help them problem solve around that emergency issue that is cropping up and keep them motivated and focused on the goals for the future. Um, we believe here that is that comprehensive integrated array of services where we partner one-on-one -on -one that is the game changer for the families that come to us for help. Mm. Uh, Beck, I, I'm curious, though, and I don't know whether you could answer this question or not, but uh, I think uh, both of you have touched on this a little bit, a cycle of poverty that, uh, you know, what Robin just described, working one-on-one, -on -one, okay, that's one-on-one. -on -one. Unfortunately, there are people who have lived in poverty for decades, if not generations. How do you end that cycle? Yes, I mean, I think that's, that's a hard <laughs> I question. I want that one. <laughs> oh, well, okay, you can I, I jump think, in on it. We got about two minutes, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where community action is is really is is so well equipped to do this work. Right, 
Robin is a great example of this as a local agency. Community Progress Council, right? They have a centralized intake process that's going to address whole family and think about the in, entire right, individual child, the mother, the father, whatever the family dynamics are in the instance of that family in order to figure out it's not just about this one instance. It's about all of these things. And, and they may come in for, I need this service to impact this. But through their intake process, they're figuring out right, okay, this is the other service that this person would really benefit from. And this is where, right, it's gonna really help somebody to get out of that cycle of poverty. And so it's about thinking about the whole family, the whole person, and all of the pieces that play a part of that, that puzzle. Robin, we only have about 30 seconds left. And if you could put your message into 30 seconds, <laughs> more power yeah. to you. <laughs> I think that one of the things uh, we always say around here is you're never gonna get people out of poverty through their three-year-old. It is because parents love their children and connect with us to support their kids that we then can work with the families. If we can get a family, a parent, to change the way they address financial issues, their children will learn those same lessons. And so we do look at the whole family and our approach to helping folks, and we believe that's important. Robin Rohrbach, President and CEO of the Community Progress Council in York County. Beck Moore, CEO, Community Action Association of Pennsylvania. Thank both of you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much.